0: Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to pray for us as we begin. Um, I actually asked Adrian to give me a little more time this morning. <clears throat> I want to kind of lead out with um, that this is going to be a little longer. Uh, because of the topic that I'm going to talk about today and to set up next week, it's going to take me a little while to move through it, and, but I, I believe it's critical. I believe it's very important, and I've got some things to say today. Um, I'm kind of looking around. Uh, I would rate this sermon probably like PG-13. So uh, it's probably nothing that your 7th or 8th grader, especially if they're in public school, has not heard before. They just may not have heard it in church. Uh, But I believe it's time we talk about these things. Um, We'd be forthright about it because the world, everybody else is talking about it. Everybody else is talking about sex and gender, what does it mean to be male, what does it mean to be female, what does marriage look like, where does pleasure come from. Um, So over the next weeks, uh, I would encourage you parents to have discussions with your teenagers if they're here present with you or with your spouse even about some of the items I want to talk about in, in the days ahead. So having said all that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And pray that, God, you would give us wisdom as we look at the Word of God together and how the Word impacts us and how our culture is impacted as well. Spirit of God, let your presence be manifest in this room. We believe you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. So, God, we pray that you would reveal that to us in the days ahead. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a series about family, and I've entitled it Reframing the Modern Family. As I said last week, there's one, probably one of the most popular comedy shows on television. Uh, it's called The Modern Family, and it's a, it's a story about a, uh, a, a guy named Jay who is married to his second wife who has a child from a previous relationship. She's much younger Um, different ethnic origin, and then he has two children from his first marriage, uh, a daughter who is in a traditional relationship with three children, and then a son who is gay who is in a committed homosexual relationship with his partner. They have an adopted daughter. There's a dog somewhere involved in all of this. Uh, But the idea that our culture is trying to instill in us And we see every moment of every day is this is what a modern family looks like. Blended, traditional, gay, whatever the family looks like. Now, there are some redeeming characteristics about this show. One, it's really funny. Number two, uh, it has, at the end, these people always come together. Whatever fights they may have, whatever difficulties they may have, they all come together to support one another by the end of the show. What I want to do is look at what does God say about the family? What is God's purpose? What is his plan? If you weren't here last week, uh, I'm not going to repeat everything I said last week, but it provided a very important foundation for everything I'm going to say in the days ahead. Because in Ephesians 3, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name he's talking about the church and family, but he's saying the church is the family of God and everything really, everything really derives its identity from our Father who is in heaven. The church particularly, but all families in some way derive their identity from the original Father, our Father, our God. The problem is, We live in a fallen state, and we're going to talk about that several times today. But in Genesis 3, 6, we see that when the woman is tempted, she looks at the fruit. And what happens? She sees the fruit of the tree. It was good for food, pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it as well. Well, What we talked about last week is this. How are you going to make decisions about what is right and what is wrong? How are you going to make decisions about the future? What is truth and what direction are you going to go? Eve was tempted to follow her emotions and her conscience. It looked good. It seemed good. Therefore, I'm going to take it. You with me? She followed her conscience and her emotions and that got her in trouble. You can either follow your conscience and your emotions, or you can follow God's word. What had God said? God said, don't eat of this tree. Don't do it. We are constantly facing a decision of following our conscience and our emotion, or following God's word and his spirit. The problem, as we looked at last week, is that in your conscience and your emotions, because we're all sinful at heart, you can't trust our conscience and our emotions. You can't trust what you feel. You really can't trust your senses to lead you in a right direction. And yet, every moment of every day as you go throughout your life, the appeal to you is to make a decision based on your conscience or your emotions, or to let it go, And let other people have the freedom to make their decisions on their conscience or their emotion. The great lie, the ancient lie that we all face all the time is this. Don't trust what God says. Rather, trust your emotions and trust your conscience. Having said that and looked at that last week, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get a copy of the the, the CD Or listen to it online. It provides a foundation for what I'm going to talk about because this week and next week I want to talk about the modern man. What does it mean to be a man according to God's word? And what does it mean to be a woman next week? God has entrusted Kathy and me with five souls in our family. Three boys, two girls. The boys are quickly approaching or have a Arrived at adulthood, the the young ladies, the girls are, the girls are uh, in their teenage years. The question of what does it mean to be a man or what does it mean to be a woman is very very important, especially for us as parents as we're raising children, and it just for what it what our society is speaking to us. There's this old nursery rhyme. It says, what are little boys made of? You remember, what are little boys made of? What are little boys made of? Sniffs and snails and puppy dog tails. That's what little boys are made of. What are girls made of? What are girls made of? Sugar and spice and everything nice. That's what little girls are made of. Who writes this stuff? (laughs) I mean, what's a snip anyway? I had to go look it up. A snip is a small eel or a slug. That's what little boys are made up Slugs, snails, puppy dogs. But girls, sugar and spice and everything, nice. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> Today I want to talk about boys and manhood and what does it be, mean to be a man. And Again, from God's Word, I, one of the things... I, I looked at this week, this was really funny to me, and again, um, if, if there may be those of you who are parents or, or, or who have all girls, or there may be uh, women here today who were raised in all female homes and haven't been around boys, uh, and so I found a blog by a woman who uh, had three boys, and she gave ten things about being a mom of boys, um, that every... Every mom who's gonna have boys or has boys should know. And here are some of them, I didn't even put some of them down, but here's several of them that you put down. You must, oh, sorry. You must know that being grossed out about bodily fluids and noises is a thing of the past for those who have boys. You must know that your house will always be dirty no matter how hard you try to clean it up. You must know that it is normal for boys to wrestle all day, every day. You must know, you must know that you'll forever be telling your son to get his hands out of his pants. You must know that the word quiet no longer exists. You must know that boys will use any opportunity they have to be naked. For those of you who don't have boys or have been all girls, you're probably appalled at several of those right off the bat. But I want to tell you, I'm not trying to sell out anybody here, but it is true. (laughs) There are some universal truths about being male. But it speaks to what we struggle with. What are the definitions of masculinity and femininity? Is it all about biology that that males have a certain anatomy and a certain hormone, testosterone, or is it a set of behaviors that makes a person a a man? The same thing about female. Is it about a certain anatomy and that the primary hormone is estrogen, or is it a set of behaviors that make a woman a woman? In today's culture, the categories of male and female actually are not the only one. The transsexual, the gender confused, or gender fluid. So today I want to begin this whole discussion about gender. And I begin, But can I say this, that sin has affected us all? That, That we're all broken in some sense, we're just broken in different ways? I mean, really, if... Struggling with a gender identity is not your particular issue. Don't look down on somebody who is struggling with that. Because you're just broken in a different way. But too often in the church we categorize certain struggles as worse than other struggles. Listen, I want to say this as clearly as I can to say it today. The only hope for any single one of us in here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the good news of Jesus Christ, we are all Hopeless. So as I look at this, I'm not making judgmental statements. I'm not trying for us to look down at any group or people. I'm just saying, look, we've got to begin to have this discussion and talk about the power of the transforming good news of Jesus Christ. There's a college in Massachusetts called Holyoke College. Holyoke was founded in 1837 as a women's Ivy League. College. It was one of what was called the Seven Sisters, Seven Women's Colleges, founded as all women's schools to kind of give women a place to go and have higher education. Because if you remember in the early, when the um, Ivy League schools were formed, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, they were at first were all male. And so this was formed as an all-female alternative, as an Ivy League college by a, a woman by the name of Mary Lyon. I'd heard about this, but I wasn't sure. So this week I went out and looked. Um, Holyoke technically is still an all-women's college. But I went out this week and looked at their requirements for admissions. Here are those who may now apply to Holyoke College. Those who are biologically born. This is straight from their website, too. I, I'm not giving it any um, um, editorial. This is straight from their website. It is those biologically born female who identify as a woman, those who are biologically born female who identify as a man, those who are biologically born female and identifies as other they or ze. Uh, I thought that was a misprint, by the way. The ze, I thought, oh, they made a mistake on their website. I, I didn't know that ze is a is a is a term for the gender confused or gender fluid. It's a kind of catch-all phrase. Um, so those born biologically female and identifies as other, they or ze. And I'm assuming I'm saying ze, right? Um, those born biologically female does not mean identify as either woman or man. So you you staying with me? So far, a biologically born male identifies as a woman. Biologically born male identifies as other they, ze, and when other or they identify, identity includes woman. These are people who can apply to Holyoke College. And biologically born with both male and female anatomy intersects but identifies as a woman. The only ones, the only exclusion given on their website for those who cannot apply for admission to Holyoke, are those born biologically male who identifies as a male. It's the age we live in, folks, in case you wondered. And by the way, if you get there and you change your mind because they feel like college is a time of fluidity, for instance, if you're male, you identify as female or gender confused, and you get there and you figure out, oh, I am a male, I want to be a male, they don't kick you out, so you can stay. We are facing issues concerning gender that are different and more prominent than at any other age in mankind. There is this confluence of the brokenness of sin, the cultural acceptance, and you combine that with the medical advancements that we have within our society, and again, we're, we're wrestling with issues that have never been wrestled with at this level in the history of mankind. Now, I'm not particularly surprised when the culture, those outside of Christianity, those outside the faith, um, go a certain direction. But when voices within the church cause us to follow where the culture is drifting, I think there is cause for concern. There's a Christian counselor, and these are the type of issues that are being faced today, whether you're aware of them or not. There's a a Christian counselor by the name of Joe Dallas, and he has a blog. He writes of a client who came in to see him, who was one of the most handsome men he had ever had come into his office as a client. His story, his client's story, was that he was born female, But that he had lived as a male for most of his life. He had undergone a sex change operation. He was now married to a woman. But two weeks before, he had gone to an evangelistic crusade and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And he came to the Christian counselor saying, now I'm a Christian. What? What what do I do? I mean, we are facing issues, people, that have never been faced before. How do we respond in love and grace to all that's going on around us? Again, I unapologetically say this. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Word of God. I believe the word of God provides us a foundation. And I'm saying this, a foundation of grace, not of law, not of judgment, not of harshness. But I want to talk about God's plan for what does it mean to be a male, man, and next week, what does it mean to be a woman? Let's start with the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is a very important point, and we either come to this place together or we're ever going to be separated. What I believe is being said in this first verse is God is the center of everything. God is the point. In the beginning, God created. Why do I say that so strongly? Because if God is the beginning and is the point of everything, that means I am not. Hello? And this is an important premise. Is God the center of everything, or are you the center of everything? Because if you say you're the center of everything, then you're going to adjust your worldview to please you, because you're the center of everything. Here am I. Here's the universe. Therefore, my conscience and who I am is going to be my God. But if God is the center and he is truth, then we adjust to him. Chapter 1, verse 27 of Genesis it said, so God created human beings in his own image. In his own image he created them. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Men and women are created in the image of God. All human beings therefore are of equal dignity, worth, and importance. I have more in common with the little, a very, very impoverished girl in Haiti that I met that was dark-skinned, barely had clothes hanging on her. I have more in common with her. I have more in common with a person who has Down syndrome. I have more in common with the sexually confused than I do with the Ross's dog, Gracie. I mean, we've gotta, we have to come to that belief. We all are created in the image of God, male and female. Now, as I said, we're all broken in some sense, but we are all created in the image of God. We may be different in many, many different ways, but in the most important way, which is the image of God, we are all alike. So, let's talk about the purpose of man, the problem... ...that we have and how we overcome this, this problem. And we're going to basically use the same outline this week for men... ...and the outline the same thing next week as we talk about women. And as I do this, let me also say that I'm going to use some words... ...that are probably a little problematic in our culture... ...because of their broken meaning, not because of their original meaning. So if you'll hang with me, hopefully through the end... ...we can redeem some of these words like headship and helper and other H-words that are problematic. All right, so first, let's affirm the original purpose of man. When God created man, both male and female, he gave them the task of subduing the earth, ruling over the created order. In Genesis 2, verses 15 and following, here is what it says God did. Now, this is before... He created woman. This is before Eve is on the scene. This is just when Adam is there. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. Here's the truth here, God loves a working man. That's how he created us. He created us and gave us the task of working, subduing. We were com- created for headship. There's a thing here called a dominion mandate, uh, which is to take dominion over, to subdue the, the earth. I struggled when I was trying to come up with a word for man's purpose because of the misuse of terms throughout history. At first, I was going to use the word leadership, the leadership of man. But you know what? I I know tons of women who are incredible and gifted leaders. Uh, I felt like it was inadequate to talk about man's purpose and role just from a leadership standpoint. So I'm going to stick with the biblical term of, of headship, because it's biblical, but I want to define it by its original purpose, not by what some of us have come to understand as headship. As I see it, the Bible talks about man being the head in this sense, and I'm going to summarize headship from several different passages in the Bible. I'm I'm looking at a broad, broad scope of the word. In the weeks ahead, I'm going to talk about teamwork between a husband and a wife. So don't hear what I'm saying as qualities of headship as being something that excludes women, but I I do believe that they fall within the category of what God intends for men to to be doing. So the first is this. When I think about headship, uh, I think of it as sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Paul's command to men in Ephesians 5 is to sacrificially love your wife like Jesus loves the church. And does what? Lays his life down for her. He doesn't dominate. He doesn't demean her. But he's willing to lay down his life for her. He's not willing to rest in his own comfort. But in the middle of the night, when the kids are screaming, he's willing to get up and go take care of them. When things need done, he's willing to lay down his own stuff that he wants to do in order to to serve. It is a sacrificial love, a giving kind of love. Not a demanding love, not a trade kind of love, not a barter kind of love, but love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He provides spiritual direction. It says in the passage in Ephesians that the the husband washes his wife with the word. I see that as he's setting the spiritual climate for his home. I know that in most homes, I say most homes, I know that in many homes, that it is the wife who sets the spiritual climate for the home. Because men have, in general, abdicated this responsibility. And I would say this, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. God works through grace. And I'm not saying that women are not supposed to take spiritual leadership and provide spiritual direction. But I'm saying that the man, a man, is this is part of his call, is to provide spiritual direction for those in his care. Men, the spiritual climate of your home doesn't fall on me. It doesn't fall on your wife. It doesn't fall on the youth pastor or children's pastor. Ultimately, it is our responsibility. And the third purpose of man, as I see both uh, from a broad scriptural standpoint, especially from Ephesians, Corinthians, Genesis, is that the husband provides physical care. I would say provision, but I think it's much much broader than simply providing. And it doesn't indicate that my wife does not help, but it entails provision, care, and protection. Let me say this. Men, if you hit the jackpot and Mama brings home $10 million a year, um, rejoice in God. Say, thank you, Lord. But that doesn't mean you can now just snowboard, go to the beach, play golf every day. It doesn't mean that you do nothing. It still means that you, in some sense, provide physically, you provide a physical protection for your home. We know this. I would say we know this not just biblically, but I would say we know it in our gut as well. If I'm laying in bed at night and something goes bump in the night, Who's getting out of bed to go check on it? My wife is gonna wake me up to tell me something went pumping the night. I mean, I'm not gonna I don't lay there and and say, Oh, baby, I'm a little frightened. Why don't you go check it out? <laughs> I mean, in our hearts we know that it just doesn't work that way. Even those outside the church will recognize this truth. You may say this is sexist but there's something in us that even outside the church is recognized. On July 20th, 2012, in a century movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, three young men, all under the age of 30, took a date, a date. Not their wives, a girlfriend or a date, to see a midnight showing of The Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises was a Batman movie, for those of you who don't know. Twenty-something minutes into the movie, a man who had lost his mind released tear gas canisters and began to randomly shoot in the theater. All three of these young men grabbed their dates, not their wives, grabbed their dates instinctively and threw them on the floor and got on top of them. All three men were shot and killed. All three women had injuries from bullets that passed through the guys to hit them but all three survived. All three men were universally praised as heroes. Contrast that within the same year, a couple of months earlier, uh, a ship named the Costa Concordia capsized off the coast of Tuscany. 32 people were killed and there were widespread reports that men were pushing aside women and children to get to the life rafts. And it was universally condemned. Why? I would say there's something that God is hardwired within us that men provide physical care. Now, again, we can battle this idea, we can battle this thought, we can. I believe the Bible teaches it's hardwired into us. Sacrificial love, spiritual. direction, physical care. These, to me, are the key components of headship. My head is attached to my body. My head takes care of my body. It provides direction for my body, care for my body. Second point, be aware of the hurdles of sin. Be aware of the hurdles of sin. Where did this all go wrong? Where do we get off the rail? Again, looking at Genesis, you know the story. Satan comes, he tempts Eve. And too often, where do we think of Adam while Eve is being tempted? Oh, he must be off somewhere. She, She was there by herself, Satan tempts her, she falls, she goes and finds Adam, gives him the apple. I think if you read this carefully, you'll see that that's probably not the picture. In verse three, chapter 3, verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate some. She also gave some to her husband, who was where? Standing there. I mean, it doesn't say she went and got him. He was with her. And he ate it. Adam was with her, and while this was going on, we're not sure of how much through the process, but he was right there at some point. He did nothing. From this point on, everything goes south. Because of the devastating consequences of sin, because Adam passively stands by and lets Eve eat of the tree. So when confronted by God by what, about what he's done, what does Adam do? His first response... He blames. Oh, yeah, sure. The very male thing to do in the fallen age, blame. He said, the woman you put here with me. So he's blaming her and God for what took place. This is not my fault. You, I, I didn't ask for her. You gave me to her. And now we got problems because of you and her. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. The result of man's sin, as given by God in the curse in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. You see the results. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. The things that God has given man to do, protection and working and provision and spiritual direction and all these other things, you see they're cursed. They, they they have a corresponding fall as a result of the fall. Everything is affected by sin. Sin brings spiritual alienation from God, emotional alienation within, relational alienation from one another. Tim Keller, in his book... Um, gospel and life, grace changed everything, says this. As a result of the fall, what we just read about, humanity is alienated from God. That's our fundamental problem, by the way. Causing guilt and hostility to the knowledge of the Lord. Men and women are alienated from themselves, causing a loss of identity and a loss of meaning, as well as anxiety and emptiness. People are alienated from other people, causing war and crime, Family breakdown, oppression, and injustice. Finally, humanity is alienated from nature itself, causing hunger, sickness, aging, and even physical death. Sin is horrible. The problem many of us have is that we don't see see sin as being that big a deal. But ultimately, it's alienated us from everything. And I believe because of the fall, men work in two selfish extremes. That we see both biblically and in our culture. Here are some of the hurdles of the fall and that I've seen in males. As I've done counseling, I see it in myself, I see it in the world around us. The first is that we are selfishly passive. Selfish passivity. The curse of the passive male is rampant in our society. Adam stood by and did nothing. Because he listened to his wife, ate from the tree, we live in an age of passivity. He was standing right there and did nothing. And to me, that's a picture of the passive male just doing doing nothing. I'll give you another illustration just to kind of change the, the whole picture. King David, manly man, slayed Goliath. I mean, when you think of most of the kings and Old Testament figures, you think of David as a real man. At the time when kings went out to war, where was David? I'm not going to go. I'm going to passively sit by. What occurred because he did not, was not assertive in his kingly duties. He committed adultery, he committed lying, he committed murder. All because he didn't engage in what he was supposed to be engaged in. I made a list of some of the things I see as passive within males. And this is not a comprehensive list. This is just a partial list. But let me go through some of these. Passivity is manifest in a refusal to worship God. Not delighting in God. Enjoying fantasy rather than engaging in reality. Silence when words are needed. Excuse-making. Disorganization, procrastination, hiding sin. To me, these are all signs of being passive within males. Laziness, gluttony, apathy, especially when it concerns spiritual things. To me, these are signals that we have become very passive in our society and and it is it is a horrible i th- would say cancer that leads to destructive behaviors over and over and over again the other extreme is selfish aggression To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. We'll talk about this a little bit next week. With pain, you will give birth to children. Here's a phrase I want you to see. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will what? He will rule over you. The idea of headship as ruling over is a result of the fall. Hello? Hello? I I mean, I don't believe the biblical definition of headship is ruling. Headship provides to me the other categories that we talked about. Direction, sacrificial love. But the ruling part comes as a result of what occurred in the Garden of Eden. Because of sin, headship is now inclined to ungodly aggression, oppression, or domination. And instead of loving, serving, protecting, we as husbands, too often we try and rule. Helping and headship is given by the Bible, I don't believe, or anything like the subservient, ruling, dominating, abusive picture that many paint. Here's some signs, I believe, of selfish aggression, thoughtless criticism. Withholding affection or attention. Controlling, especially through money. Trying to use money to control people or our spouses around us. Manipulating through fear. Demanding our own way. Abuse, any kind of abuse. Physical, verbal, emotional abuse. Mocking, belittling, retaliation, anger, abandonment and these are just partial lists i would say of things that i i see as selfish aggression manifest in many males today i think you get the picture and it is not what i would call a pretty picture by the way this is not just about the home this is about everything Now, some of you are thinking about the home, and there's some parts of it that I'm speaking about the home. But, for instance, in, um, I think it's Ezekiel 34, somewhere in that area, um, just in those chapters somewhere, there's a part where he talks about evil shepherds in the context of the nation of Israel. And these are people who are given responsibility to help shepherd other people. And he talks about how they're evil because they do things like This, they're either doing nothing to help people or they're dominating and demanding. What we have today is in many senses boys who have never grown up. Boys who can shave. I mean, physically, they've grown up, but they've never grown up. I would say this, the wages of sin is death. I mean, I know that we talk about eternal life when we talk about the wages of sin being death, but really the wages of sin and who we are created and our identity and who we we're supposed to be, death is rampant in us. But here's the good news. You were hoping I'd get to some, I think. At least I hope you thought I would. Awaken to the redemption that comes through Christ. If we look too closely, we may have a tendency to come away thinking this is hopeless. And just succumb to the wisdom of our day. You're perfect whatever you are, just go with it. Do whatever you think best. In Ezekiel 37, God takes Ezekiel to um, a valley filled with dead bones. And God asks Ezekiel, "Hey Ezekiel, Zeke, do you think, uh, do you think these bones can live again? If it, I were Ezekiel, I this is a trick question. <laughs> Ezekiel's very smart, though. He, and he basically says this, God only knows. I mean, meaning God, only you know for sure if these bones can live again. And God says to Ezekiel, Start speaking to the bones. Now, how stupid would you have felt if you're Ezekiel in a valley of dry bones? Hey, bones. Wake up. Get up. Get together. Form a body. Get some sinew on you, some tendons, some skin, some exactly what Ezekiel does. And as he follows the command of God, what happens? It it occurs. The bones come together. They get tendons on them. They get skin. They get blood. He prophesies breath into them. They breathe. They become an incredible army. I, I believe that's a picture of the wages of sin being death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be called to life. Ephesians 2.4 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it, has been, it is by grace you've been saved. You've been made alive. Alive in him. You were dead Selfish passivity, selfish aggression ruled in your heart and life, but you don't have to stay there. You can be made alive in him. I believe we can recapture at some level the original purpose that God made us for. Sacrificial love, spiritual direction, physical care. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. How are we going to live, people? I'm going to live by how I feel. I'm going to live. If I don't feel it, I'm not going with it. No, if I'm going to be righteous, I'm going to live by faith. Faith comes as a gift of grace from God. Faith in Jesus Christ, faith in his purpose, faith for my marriage, faith for my children, faith for my job, everything I'm going to do, I'm going to do by faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to live by faith that I can sacrificially love my wife. That means at some point i got to get off my butt and help my wife. Hello? Hello? I mean, I'd much rather sit in my recliner and, you handle it, honey? You know, I'm out winning, I'm out making all the money. Two o'clock in the morning, kids scream. They don't do that anymore, fortunately. Honey, you take care of it. You're the wife. You know, I've got to get some sleep. You take care of it. This is really, my sleep is really important to me. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. I'll try not to, guys. I don't want to beat us up too bad. But the good news is that we have the transformational power of the gospel in our lives to change who we are. I'm never going to be perfect, but I am alive in Jesus. And his light, as we sang about earlier, I can see a light that is coming. I have a light in my life now. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. Makes sense, right? So, if I'm a selfishly passive guy or a selfishly aggressive guy, The light of God's going to shine on it, and it's going to reveal it for what it is. That's why it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In faith, Christ's light is shining on us. We don't have to be that. We can be what he says we are. Be very careful. Then here's the command. Okay, wake up. Christ's light shine on you. Now what? Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Guys, I want to say this to you and me. Wake up. Know who you are in Jesus. Fulfill your purpose and destiny in this life. Your purpose and destiny is not to sit around and do nothing. It's not to dominate the people around you. Those are fallen versions of what God has commanded. Sacrificially love, spiritually lead, physically protect your family and those around you. Be transformed by the power of the gospel. If you're a woman here and you are married. Here's my wisdom to you today. Pray for your husband. Pray for your husband. Here's what I would not do. Don't go home and say, you know what? If you would do those things, you'd be better. Let me help you by telling you what you're doing wrong in every single one of these categories. I, I know. We're going to talk about the word helper next week. But as in the Prince's Pride, I don't think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) Because sometimes, ladies, your helping is hurting, not helping. But I know you just want him to be a better man. I know you just want him to improve. We'll talk about how you can do that next week. But begin by just praying for him. If you're here today and you're a single male... I would say this, ask for the transforming power of gospel to be at work in your life. So that when you do get married, if that day ever comes, it may not. That you will be the husband God has called you to be. But this applies in your workplace as well. This applies to the lives around you as well, not just to marriage. And if you're a single female, pray for the guys that are around you. Pray for the men that are around you. Pray that when you do find the guy, that this is the guy, he's willing to move in this direction. Look for these character qualities in a male. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than the fall. Jesus is greater than all of our junk. But we have to awaken through the grace of God, to the light that's shining on us, and then we have to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live wisely. I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. I'm not going to be foolish. Let's pray. Because we need it. Amen? Lord, we pray this morning. I want to pray for all the men present here today that we would become what you created for us to become. Lord, even in the context of a sermon like this, I know there are so many angles to look like, to look at about what does it mean to be a man. we have these pictures ingrained in us about what does it mean to be a man. Man, Men don't cry. Men don't do this. Men don't do that. Men do that. Lord, instead, I pray we would receive what you say about us. About who we're supposed to be. Within the context of your word and your spirit. Lord, I pray, I want to pray first of all that you would forgive us For being passive when we should have been assertive. Whatever the root cause may be of hurt or just sin, forgive us, O Lord. May we wake up and get up. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us, those of us who have been overly aggressive toward the people in our lives. Domineering, demanding, ruling. Lord, instead, I pray you would show us what it means to sacrificially love our families. To lay our lives down. Not just within the context of family, but in the world around us. God, direct our path. Direct our steps. I pray against the condemning voice of the enemy that would jump on some guys right now and say, you are never going to make it. And instead, I pray that we would know that the gospel is powerful to transform. Thank you. Stand up with me if you would. I'm going to have ministry teams come down to the front. Um, This is always an open ministry time. If you need prayer for anything, spiritual direction, wisdom, guidance, freedom, health, healing, come and receive prayer. But there are also going to be some uh, men-only groups down here today um, that if something in this sermon spoke to you and you would like to receive prayer from some guys, uh, they're going to be here uh, to pray with you, and to, to pray for you. So as Noel leads us in worship, come and receive receive prayer before we leave each other this morning.
1: Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue again. Come find your mercy, O oh, sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal So lay down your burden Lay down your shame All oh, who I'm blind.